The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about couples conflict. And we're going to be talking with a friend of ours from the InSpirit Center. She's wonderful. She's an author. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California and a marriage consultant nationally and in Canada and in Mexico. And I'm so thrilled to introduce our good friend, Nancy Kohlenberger. Now, Nancy, aside from those accolades, she's been a presenter for various organizations on the impact of adult ADHD on relationships, and through her company, Transformational Living, she presents talks and workshops, and she's a consultant, and she's also a counselor, and she's been on the faculty at the University of Santa Monica, where she taught master's level courses in psychology, including the marriage and family course. And then in her private practice in Newport Beach, California, she works with a variety of clients, including ADHD-impacted couples, which we're going to talk about that in this wonderful book, and with couples and individuals where ADHD is not even an issue. So you can find out more about her at her website at transformyourlife.com, and that's spelled T-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-M-U-R life.com and also at our website at conflicthealing.com where you'll see her picture, you'll see a picture of her uh, cover of her book, her bio, and of course we link to her URL as well and so then you can go find out more about her book and about her great service to uh, the community here. So thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us. Thank you, Maury. It's great to be here. Well, you know, I was reading your book, and you wrote it also with your co-author, Melissa Orlov. I was reading your book, The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD. But as I was reading, even though there are, you know, certain important aspects about medicine and and specific issues with ADHD, a lot of these issues apply to any couple. And as I know that, you know, as you know, I'm I'm also uh, finishing up my book on um, uh, fighting for, for love, which it, a lot of the things really relate to couples who have no issues with ADHD. So I think it's a great book for anyone to read, and especially if you have the challenge with ADHD. 
And so let's let's just start for a minute, though. And um, so, Nancy, you've recently co-authored a book called The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD with your co-author, Melissa Orlov. Please tell us a little bit about what inspired the two of you to write this book. Sure, Maury. Well, let me tell you that, unfortunately, there's a very sad statistic that says that marriage where there is ADHD present, in those marriages, they're twice as likely to end in divorce as marriages where ADHD is not a factor. Mm. So what we wanted to accomplish with the book was to show where the emotional hotspots are or the stressors that show up in these marriages and how they can be dealt with so that couples with new levels of awareness and tools can move forward and truly enjoy each other again. This was particularly meaningful to me, Maury, because my husband and I both have ADHD. So many of these hotspots have shown up in our marriage, and we're constantly working on healing them. And, you know, they say that we teach best what we need to learn. Yes. yes. <laughs> which Absolutely. is, you know, which I know is true in my life, and obviously it's true in your life. Yes. So can you talk about some of the symptoms that, that, uh, come, that arise in ADHD? People may not even know that they have it, right? Yes, that's very true. So um, ADHD has been known in a couple of different ways in the past. It used to be known as attention deficit disorder. Now it's under the umbrella term of attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And whether people are hyperactive or not, it doesn't matter. It all fits under that terminology now. So some of the symptoms that go along with that are things like lack of focus Mm. and short-term memory issues. There is uh, distractibility that comes with ADHD. And in addition, there are things like working on projects but not to completion. So it means having a lot of balls in the air at one time and the inability to come to completion on those kinds of things. So those are just some of the symptoms of ADHD. Right. And I think all of us have, like when you said that, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if I have ADHD. (laughs) I think all of us have that to some extent or another. And those maybe when you have those challenges, maybe when they're kind of exaggerated, that is how it might be, um, you know, called the ADHD. I know I have another friend whose husband is like that and he He's a wonderful guy. I love him to death, but I know some of the things that drive her crazy is like he would start different projects to, you know, remodel the house and in different rooms all the time and then nothing got done. Mm. And so she had to learn about that. And yeah. um, so so I can see that there are, you know, um, things, challenges in learning to do that. And if if you're married to someone like that, it would it would probably be frustrating unless you understand it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what sets, you know, what other things set these couples apart from other couples, you know? Well, if you read the book, right from the start of the book, we talk about in treatment um, that because these couples have ADHD in their marriage, sometimes they feel stigmatized. Mm -hmm. So out in the real world where people hear about ADHD, they don't necessarily understand what it means. And so there are a lot of detractors that say, ADHD, what's that? Does that really exist? And, you know, you don't seem hyperactive, so you couldn't possibly have ADHD. 
So some of these myths can be really challenging to people who do have it, and there are a lot of misunderstandings about it. There are people who have ADHD, and they, along with the ADHD, they have other symptoms like anxiety and depression. So those things need to be handled as well, and those, all of those things together can certainly challenge couples in a relationship. Another one of the hot spots that we hear complaints about often is that the ADHD, the non-ADHD partner, sorry about that, um, can often feel unloved and mm. neglected, and that can often occur because the ADHD partner, even when they're on medication, can often be distracted. So they find themselves hyper-focusing on things like their job, and they hyper-focus on TV or the Internet. You'll find a lot of them up till 3 o'clock in the morning focusing on the Internet, and their partners therefore feel really neglected. Right. And so in those circumstances, we hear a lot of complaints from couples like that. I think what's really wonderful, though, is that now we are starting to understand these issues. So once you understand that what, what the challenge is, just that consciousness can even help you to start to grow and to work on it, right? It makes a difference, but one of the things that's true in these couples is that there are so many issues. For example, as I mentioned before, there's the short-term memory problems. There's a lot of unkept promises. There are things that are forgotten to be done when they've been committed to. Mm. There's important dates missed. There's lateness, and there's also a problem in some of these marriages where there's chronic lying that takes place. Ooh. There's a parent-child dynamic that is unique to these relationships. There are chore wars. So there are certain things about what goes on in these relationships that are different than mm. you might consider happening in other kinds of relationships. Yeah, so you talk about chronic lying. That's, that's a little scary. Could you talk more about that? Yeah, Many times what you'll find out in these relationships is that these people tell what they consider little white lies. So to them, they don't think it's such a big deal, but they tell them to get out of difficult situations. Mm. And these are often habits that were established in childhood because in childhood they wanted to avoid disappointing or angering somebody important like a parent or a teacher and this was obviously a never a very good pattern, but it certainly can lead to lack of trust on the part of their partner at this point in this present relationship. So the question becomes, why do they still use lying in adulthood? Well, they want to avoid any kind of conflict with their partner, and they're sometimes embarrassed by something that, that they've done or they haven't done, something that they've committed to that they didn't fulfill, so now it kind of comes automatically to them, and some have no idea why they do it. They just do. Gosh, that, you know, I had a, an intern that I really believe had ADHD, and um, he would lie to me of, oh, you know, well, I guess I'm late because I got stopped by the police. And I said, did you get a ticket? You know, at first I'd believe him, you know. Mm -hmm. And then it just more and more kept going on. And then one time he told me that he couldn't come in um, 
because he had to work at his other job and then it was a restaurant and so my assistant and I thought well let's you know let's go to lunch there he had to work there let's go to lunch and let's give him a good tip and he wasn't there and then he told the and he told the other boss that he wasn't there because he had to work for me so I mean that was like you know, I had talked to him about the little white lies he told me before, and then right. I fired. That was it. I fired him. But right. that's really sad because, you know, if you tell the truth, like, oh, I want to be with my girlfriend instead, I would have said fine. You know what I mean? Right. But when you lie, I think there's nothing like you were talking about trust in a relationship. Yeah. How can you trust when someone is right. lying to you? You don't know if they're lying to you that they were with a girlfriend or if they're lying to you that they did something ill legal i mean right. it is terribly frightening gosh right. what do you do about that right well i had i had a, a man who came to me and he wanted to bring his wife into the situation so that i could work with them but he had lied so often and so deeply to her that by the time he got to me it was too late mm. and she just decided that she just couldn't stay married to him anymore it was very sad yes very sad. I, I think, th- I remember when my kids were little, if I ever caught up in a white lie, I said, look, if you tell me a lie, I said, I'm going to get really mad when I find out. But if you tell me the truth about something you did, I will be a far less mad right. <laughs> than if you tell me a lie because I can't trust you then. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that's, you know, really unfortunate is just, it's it, it's very scary. Trust is so important in a relationship. If you don't have totally. trust, you don't have anything, right? Right. Absolutely. Oh, oh, my goodness. Really true. Yeah. So, you know, you talked a little bit about um, the, uh, about a parent-child dynamic. Mm-hmm. So kind, kind of explain how that works in the sure. ADD marriage. Yeah. Sure. So quite often what happens in these partnerships is that the non-ADHD partner ends up becoming over-responsible due to the many inconsistencies and the disorganization on the part of the ADHD partner, particularly before diagnosis Mm. or if the ADHD symptoms are under-managed. So in that case, the non-ADHD partner becomes fearful of the chaos that can ensue if they don't jump in and handle and manage situations properly. Mm. So the non-ADHD partner, therefore, ends up taking on a parental role and becoming like a director of all the household activities, educating, setting up rules, doling out the chores. And this ends up putting the ADHD partner in the child role, which creates a major power imbalance in this relationship. Let me give you an example. So an example might be that she's the non-ADHD partner and she's asked him to take out the trash a couple of times. Because of his symptom of short-term memory loss, he keeps forgetting. And particularly if his attention gets caught up in something else that's of greater interest to him, he just doesn't remember. And this in similar situations creates, on her part, patterns of nagging and controlling And she feels very justified in doing that kind of a thing. He, on the other hand, gets really angry, resentful, and he 
calls this micromanaging him. Right. <laughs> Plus, he's embarrassed that he keeps forgetting. Mm. So, obviously, you can imagine the conflict that ensues from that. Right. Yeah. Well, why don't they use Outlook and then put, like, every every Friday is trash day. And yeah. it's on, and it's yep. on your, you know, like, I anything that's coming up. I send an invite to my husband or if he has a doctor's appointment, we just send each other invites because, you know, even if you don't have ADHD, it's so easy to forget. Right. We're all, we're all bombarded with activities and all these crazy things. I just learned to, to you know, because Lloyd would say, well, you know, I didn't know we had to do that. So now I just put it on calendar and mm-hmm. it comes up for him, you know. So well, what how, how do you deal about with it? Yeah. really a part of... The behavioral treatment process with an ADHD person is setting up those kinds of calendars and reminder systems and all of that. But if that person doesn't have that in place yet, then that's when the forgetfulness causes yeah, the problem. Yeah, so how, how else do you address this kind of dynamic? Well, one of the first things it's important to remember is that the symptom isn't the person. Right. And that's something that the non-ADHD partner needs to remember is that even though there's those kinds of forgetfulness things that you've got to give the ADHD partner some time and some tools like exactly what you're talking about so that they can begin to get their head on straight and they can start doing things more effectively. It's also important to remember that the parent-child dynamic is at work. And therefore, when the non-ADHD partner is doing all the controlling that's perpetuating the problem, it's not just the non-ADHD partner that's involved here. The ADHD partner is also complicit. So there's got to be some taking responsibility for chores like washing the dishes, making sure that the soap is in the dishwasher, and going through all of the steps that's needed in each process like that. So exactly what you're talking about is part of what needs to be done where a reminder system in any way, shape, or form they see as being helpful to them is put into place so that they can remember every step in the process that needs to be done. And if an alarm needs to be set that says, okay, I put the the wash in the washing machine and now when the alarm goes off, I remember to put it in the dryer. Those kinds of things are put into place so that the ADHD partner can feel like they can really get the job done. You know, it, it, those are good things for anybody. Yeah, it's really <laughs> but, true. But, but they really are good things. I know I have to set my alarm on my, on my, you know, on my cell phone to, to remind myself to go back and do something, you know, and say, right. oh, gosh, okay, what was I supposed to do? Right. You know, and I don't know if I have ADHD or not, but, <laughs> I, but I get that. I think we all can get distracted. I think we're on information overload, so that is really hard. But the good news is with all of these mobile devices that we have, Yes. It is incredible how we can, even though we're overloaded with it, at the same time we have all these places that we can be reminded instead of just on the refrigerator. Now, if you're out and your alarm goes off and you say, oh, I forgot to pick up the cleaning, well... Your, your your phone tells you you don't have to look at the refrigerator like in the old days, you know? Well, that's what I say. I say a smartphone almost seems like it was invented for an ADHD <laughs> year. It's like their best friend. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yep. 
So when you, you know you you talk in your book about maximizing treatment. So what do you mean about maximizing treatment? Well, treatment actually has three parts to it. So the first part is the physiological component, and that has to do with being sure that you're on the proper medication. So when somebody is diagnosed, the first thing that they need to do is connect with their doctor and see if medication is right for them and what medication would work best for them because there are a number of medications that they might try. And so that's the first rung. And then there's also supplements, and a good place to go is there's a, a section I know, for example, in Mothers, which we have around here, where there's a brain section, and there are a number of different supplements, fish oil being one of them, and fish oil is a very, very good supplement for ADHD people. And also in the treatment section of the book, there's a number of suggestions on supplementation. The other part of the physiological piece of this is sleep, which is really important, and ADHD people are notorious for not getting eight hours of sleep. You'll find many of them on their computers till 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So what they want to make sure of is that they do their best to get eight hours of solid sleep. So that's kind of the physiological things, and exercise is part of that. As far as the behavioral part is concerned, it's a lot of what we're talking about, making sure that you have the proper calendar, alarms set, that you have ways of reminding yourself of when you need to get things done. So those are the first two legs of the, the um, treatment process. And then the third leg has to do with just your interactions with your partner, just making sure that you're managing those effectively. <clears throat> and there's a study that came out, and this really surprised me, actually, I found out. There's a study that came out in February of this year that says that, I'm going to use a big terminology here, that there is more emotional lability on the part of ADHD people than others. And what that means is there's more emotional ups and downs like anger and irritability that they face versus other people. So they also have to be sure that they're managing their moods and their emotions as well. And, you know, it's so catching right it's contagious so uh-huh. if somebody's really irritable and you know i i try to put put up my golden shields when i'm around people that are irritable because you know I, that's what i do for a living i'm around people that are constantly in conflict mm-hmm. they're angry they're frustrated sure they're are. irritable yep. because that's as a mediator i'm there to help them resolve these conflicts but but it is contagious and i can see in my mediations that if one person starts to get really irritable, the other person does, you know, and then I have to put up my golden shields really quickly to try and just change the energy. And and it's hard. It's hard. And so I think when you're in a relationship where someone is constantly angry or constantly irritable, that it just wears on you. And it's so hard. It's understandable Mm -hmm. that someone, even if they understand it after a while, just wants to say, I've had it. I've had enough, right? Right, right. right. So, right. so what, you what do you do? all these symptoms on top of the emotionality of it, and it really can be a very tough thing to live with. So what kind of medicine do they use? I mean, because you don't want somebody to be all drugged up either. No, and actually, um, what's very interesting is that there are a number of categories of medication 
Um, one category is called methylphenidate, and that's a very fancy terminology, but that's, that goes with the old Ritalin that many children were put on years and years ago and still are to a certain degree today. And that medication, from what I understand, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, yeah. for people who have kids <laughs> who are on Ritalin, sometimes people would find that medication made kids a little bit spacey. Right, so right. So they have come up with newer medications today that are stimulant medication. And what's really interesting is stimulant medications are medications that calm the ADHD person down. So they have the opposite effect that you would imagine a stimulant would have. And then there's a whole line of medications that are non-stimulant medications. So there are a number of different very good choices for people with ADHD today. And that's really good, too, because if they can, yeah. you know, I don't know if that helps them to focus more. Absolutely. Yeah, or, or help them to, you know, kind of manage the moods yes. so that they don't, like, you know, I remember reading in your book and you know, talk about how they have a real, they're kind of like uh, have a real hot spot, a reactive kind of personality. Right. And, um, and that's something that they, you know, can't control. Right, and the thing that about the medications, which I also want to mention, is that the way that they cycle through your body is it's really kind of a short-term cycle. So they're in and out of your body within a number of hours. So it's not like they hang on inside of you for days or weeks like some of the other medications do that people take. So sometimes people get worried and they say, well, you know, is this something I can get addicted to or whatever? But they're really in and out of you within the course of a number of hours. So the likelihood of addiction is very minimal. Oh, well, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. And I would think since it is, there are chemical imbalances, I think that it's, you know, it would be helpful maybe even for people to meditate like you talk about and just do some things that are that are stress relieving because I would think that yes. stress makes it worse, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about um, the street the three stages of healing the ADHD relationship. Can you tell okay. us what those are? Sure. So stage one usually is about denial and resistance in both partners. And this very often happens right after the partner receives the diagnosis. So there have been problems along the way, and usually before they get into stage one and before they get diagnosed, they have no idea what's causing all the problems. So there's a lot of finger-pointing in both directions mm. because it's like, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. Right. And when they get to this stage there's still a lot of that blaming going on and there's finger pointing going on. But once the diagnosis is made, they begin to get more education in the stage one of the process. And this is the start of them coming up with specific tactics and how to deal with the ADHD. Yeah. Stage two is involved with, as we're talking about here, the maximizing of treatment on the physiological and behavioral levels. And it's about experimenting with what are some of the different tactics in terms of how they relate to each other. And it's during this stage that they begin to work on things like the parent-child 
dynamic and making headway in doling out chores and finding ways to communicate with each other without the walls of anger and hostility that might have been there during stage one. So stage two is a very important stage where it's really good to build in what I call attend time. And attend time is time that the couple spends specifically with each other. So all the distractibility that's been there before that might have kept them apart, it's now time to say, okay, you know, I'm conscious of this now, so I'm going to give my attention to my partner. And And what is stage three? And stage, just to mention that stage two lasts the longest, and then once they've gotten through stage two, when they get into stage three, that's the return of affection Mm. and romance. And sometimes in the first two stages, that's missing completely with these couples because of all the conflict that's been. Right, right. they got to get to stage three to really cement the relationship again. Yeah, right. Because then some behavioral changes have been made once they realize what has caused all their problems up until then, and they both make the behavioral changes that then can bring about the healing. And falling in love again, and that's it. We're just out of time, so this is just perfect. Okay. All right, so we've been talking uh, with... Uh, about this wonderful book, The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD, which is really about any relationship. But, but you know, there are some differences with Nancy Kohlenberger, who is the co-author with Melissa Orlov. And so, Nancy, it's time to go. Just give your website, and we got to go. Sure. My website is transformyourlife.com. All right. And we will see you very soon. And thanks for all the wonderful work that you're doing in this area. You're wonderful, Nancy. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Mari. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.